wish, not a could be guarantee that that empty tomb promised us eternal life through Jesus Christ. That guarantee is more than just a warm, fuzzy feeling that we have while we're on this earth. It's the promise of a new body, of a full relationship with our Creator, and glories of heaven that only come from knowing you. So Father, be with us this morning as we learn to be more like Jesus and to respond to him accordingly. We ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Please be seated this morning. So glad you're here. What a great time of worship, band. Thank you so much. Many of us know a lot of Bible stories, and we've heard them, and we've been able to retell those stories. You probably all know the story of Noah's Ark. Many of you do, I, I hope. I'm going to make the assumption that you do, at least. But there was a, a little boy and, and his little sister were outside playing, and mom sees out the window that a storm is coming, and she, she yells at the little boy who's, who's about a year or so older than his sister and says, uh, you know, get inside and tell your sister to come with you. A few moments later, she hears the, the door open and close, and the, the little boy goes and grabs a refrigerator, and she's going to get a snack, and uh, mom looks over and says, where's your sister? And he says, we were playing Noah's Ark. What, what does that mean? Well, she was one of the sinners, so I told her to stay outside. <laughs> I know we laugh about that, and it's kind of an inside joke for Christianity for a level, but but hang on with me this morning because I'm going to ask you this question and a series of other questions, but simply this. What is the criteria that we use by which we withhold the gospel from other people? What what? When we go through the checklist and say this person should and this person should not hear the life-altering reality that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he's died for all of humanity and that if you put your trust in him and you believe in him, that he was risen from the dead, that you too will have that same guarantee. What is the criteria that says this person and not that person? And I can say and ask that question with deep and great conviction because at some point we either have to say there's a criteria and this person didn't meet it, or I have a checklist, or there's been something that helps me feel better about that decision to withhold the gospel from someone for whatever reason. Because if, if I can't say there's a criteria, if I can't say that there's a reason, if I can't say whatever, then, then, then what is left is a choice. I could say that I chose not to share with them what I know to be true in my own heart. Oh, pastor, that's a, 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 a big oversimplification. There's always circumstances. There's always reasons. Sometimes people won't listen to me, or or, or they're, they're so opposed to the gospel that I don't want to be antagonistic to that, or, or, or they have a different belief system than I do, and they're just not coming off of that. So you do have criteria. So you, so you do have a set of standards that say, I'll, I will do this, but I won't do that. And, and my, my goal is not guilt. My, my goal is not to drive you to a place of, of just wretchedness and, and pure depravity. And I, I just can't do anything right. My goal is not that at all. My goal is to help you understand that if you're trying to do those things or you're looking for the ability to share the gospel with others by what you know and by your own motivation and by your belief, you're missing out on the reality that you've been given a gift of the Holy Spirit to empower you to do more than you can ever possibly think or imagine. And it's not about how they respond to the gospel. It's about, uh, not for them, for you, it's not about how they respond. It's that they heard it from you. Because you can't force people to say yes to the gospel. It's coercion. 
Jesus himself was rejected, but he told them the truth. And he didn't do so with a mighty right hand of judgment. He did so with two arms opened up, with compassion and with care, with concern. And he had no criteria by which no one would not hear the good news. In fact, he got to such a place to say that that not only is this good news for those that are around me during these three years of my ministry, but after I leave this place, others are going to need to hear this same story too. He says in, in Acts 1.8, an often quoted verse that we all know, that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses whenever you feel like it, whenever it's convenient for you, whenever it's comfortable for you, or whenever just somebody that you like needs to hear the gospel and you hope they're in heaven with you too because they're locked up. No. He says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And in such a culture that prides itself on results, we're missing the process to go and to tell and to be honest and to be truthful and invite people to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know if I said this last week or not. I know I've said this a lot as of late, but I'm going to tell you, if you have difficulty inviting people to church, it's exponentially more difficult for you to invite them to a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something. I really don't care if they're here or not. What I care is that their soul is forever guaranteed to be in glory with God Almighty because they have received the invitation to follow him. Because let's face it, folks, every church any of us have ever been in, there are people who have never accepted that invitation. They like what the church has to offer. They, they like that this program is here or this person is there. They even enjoy some of the people out there. But do they have a relationship with Jesus Christ? That, that is what matters. And when we withhold the greatest gift we've ever received, we set a criteria down. We can make a choice. If you have your Bible this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn to Mark's Gospel. Mark's in the New Testament, and we've been going through this book a little bit the last couple of weeks. We're going to continue to do so for a while. What, what I've, I've tried to remind you is that Mark as a whole in his, in his Gospel, he, he, he looks more at the activity and the actions of Jesus, not the sermons of Jesus. And, and so because of that, he, he sees the outcome and the rationale and the reasoning and the purposes and, and the things Jesus did, not just the things that he said. And in that quest to understand what Mark is recording for us, we need to remember that, that Mark is predominantly writing to the Romans who have a different understanding. And we're not talking about the Roman government. We're talking about the people of Rome who have a much different understanding of many gods versus one God. He's trying to help them to understand that the one God does what he says he's going to do, and I'll prove it to you. But he's helping them to answer two questions we've been trying to answer. Who is Jesus, and how do I respond to him? And it's like so many other things. If we do not know who Jesus is, it's very hard for us to tell others who Jesus is. And so we're going to spend some time going through Mark's gospel to help us understand who Jesus is and what he's done for us and why that's so important that everybody else needs to know that too. And it's not trying to pay back what was done for us because we'll never be able to do that. But it is a response to what has been done for us that was so overwhelming that we want others to know that too. 
And so here we are in Mark's gospel this morning, and we're going to look at, at verses 14 and 15 first. And, and it's just there, there, there's, there's an invitation that is here, and I want you to see how simple this is. So beginning in verse 14, it says, Now after John was arrested, meaning John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Father, thank you for the simplicity of these three or four sentences, Lord, of these, these few thoughts that are there, that Jesus came with a simple message that we need to hear and respond to this morning and to understand not just what he did, but why he did it and how that impacts our life. Walk with us, Lord, as we open up this word. May it be penetrating to our heart and may it put our feet to action. God, we may not just worship you in our mind and our heart, but in words and deeds that others may come to the same truth that we have in our hearts. It's just in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The, the gospel message in these few verses is simple. And, and there's four key words that I want you to see that are, are in these few sentences that Jesus puts out there. And in the midst of these words, I'm going to talk for a few minutes about why the simplicity of this message is so important for us to understand, because it reveals a tremendous amount about who Jesus is, how we should respond to him, and how others should respond to the knowledge and the message of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel that is being proclaimed by Jesus himself. And I want us to see the importance of, of how it begins. John the Baptist was about six months older than Jesus. He was his cousin, and his job was to go and to tell everybody to make way the king is coming. One coming after me is greater than me, and you need to be ready to hear that. And so John came in maybe sometimes with a hammer and maybe sometimes with a feather, but he was softening the edges. He was massaging them and getting them ready to hear this amazing truth that Jesus is going to proclaim about himself. And then suddenly John finds himself doing what he's supposed to do, responding to God, the call on his life, and he's locked up and he's arrested. And I told you a couple weeks ago that, that we believe he was a Nazarite, which means he didn't cut his hair, he didn't drink wine or eat grapes. And the ending of a Nazarite vow says that you go in and you make a sacrifice and you cut your hair. And, and at the end of John's prison sentence here, his vow is going to be broken because they're going to cut his head off thus ending his vow and his life. It actually is this, this, this wonderful, scary fulfillment of, of, of what it meant because John said, I take my vow so adamantly strong that I will do everything to fulfill it, even losing my head. And he did so. And so Jesus, being called into his ministry, having been baptized, as we saw last week, initiated, began his ministry, just as God's ministry in you ought to initiate in your baptism, unless you just received the baptism of repentance instead of the one that filled you with the Holy Spirit that gave you the ability to do things that you never possibly imagined. And we talked about the difference of that last week. And so Jesus says, listen, I came to this earth for a specific purpose, to seek and to save those who are lost. And since John the herald before me is now in prison, Jesus says, I'm going to start this ministry right now. I'm not going to wait and see if he wins on appeals. I'm not going to see if maybe he gets out on good behavior. I'm not going to see if there's a furlough. I'm not even going to break him out of prison. John is no longer in the effective role that he was in because he did what he was supposed to do. And Jesus says, now that he's done, I'm going to do what John said I was coming to do, was to fulfill the gospel and tell the earth everything about me so that they may come 
to a relationship with my Father so that we may dwell together by my side. And so we begin in verse 14 where it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. Now Galilee was honestly a whole lot like Houston, Texas. You know, in Katy school districts, we have over 90 languages spoken. There are cultures all over our place. When you look at the names of the people who live on your street, the nations have gathered in Houston, Texas. It is one of the most diverse places on the entire planet, right here where we live. And because of that, I believe in the midst of the Bible Belt, in the, in the largest metropolitan uh, city that has more megachurches than any other metropolitan city by per capita, we have the access to the gospel of Jesus Christ right here, and the nations are here with us. God's brought them together. It's low-hanging fruit. And Galilee was a lot like this. It was this multicultural place where people traded and they sold and they did all kinds of stuff. And with all of that, what we see is that there was this really ugly underbelly of that because there was greed and corruption and sexual immorality and all things that were going on. I don't know how many of you follow politics. I know many of you do, but, but some of you might have seen that in Davos this past week that the great economic leaders of the world met together to talk about the economy and inflation and everything else. I don't know if you saw the other side of that, that there was a tremendous amount of sex workers that were brought into Davos this week. Wow, we have financial influencers in this world who are still participating in those terrible things together and then asking for our trust. Trust us with your money. Times hadn't changed. But Jesus has an eye to that. And although he is not physically here like he was when he walked on this earth, he has brought us to deliver the message in these places that we live. And he's even made it so simple that we don't even have to actually go to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth have gathered around us. That doesn't mean that we don't go to the ends of the earth. We still should. But I'm just saying there's really no excuse It's both and, not either or. And so Jesus begins his ministry in this place, not because it was so terrible and so horrible and so nasty, but because what he understands, what I hope we understand is, is that if I can get the gospel saturated amongst some of these people and they go back to their places, then the gospel is going to spread like wildfire. That they're going to take the good news, which is a very Roman word actually, that there's a new king in town and this new king has a new direction and a new edict and a new power and I want to follow him and I met him in Galilee but everything changed the day that I met him tell me the man who knows everything about me could say that then you do know but but here's the the real simple part of this when we look at these four words time kingdom repent and believe and this is a, a simple message of the gospel and this is why I would ask you what's your criteria of when or how or to whom you share the gospel. Because what Jesus said, and this was so controversial, and it's still controversial as a teaching today, because many people are challenged by this theology. When when Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand, the the time has come, the time is fulfilled. What Jesus is saying with a tremendous amount of honesty, but with a great amount of urgency, he didn't say that eventually at some time, and he wasn't this little, this little soft Jesus that says, you know, the, 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 uh, I'm just, I'm just sitting over here. I don't want to offend you. I don't want to disrupt you. I know, I know, man, that, that you shouldn't be trading and trafficking people in this world. You know, I just, I just, just, just maybe you could just tone it down just a little bit more. 
Urgently, the kingdom of God is at hand. And the great challenge for so many people, particularly the Jews, who were under the thumb of Roman rule, was that they were praying, they were asking, they were waiting for this big king to come in with this army. And that he was going to wipe out all these people and they were going to have their land. And they were going to be isolated and insulated from all the rest of those pagan people who needed to stay outside because they were sinners and not saints anymore. And he wanted them, all these people were saying he's going to come in. And it was so radical that when Jesus come in and says the kingdom of God is at hand, everybody who wanted all those things and thought all those things, they didn't even bother to look that Jesus was the one who fulfilled the prophecy. They just said, we don't like him. He's not him. He's not going to keep us in power. Those were the religious leaders of the day who were saying, no, 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 Jesus is not the one. Probably the only one who was really that smart was a dude named Gamaliel that said, listen, we've heard this stuff before, and it, it, look, it, it, if this is from God, we can't stop it if we wanted to, but if not, don't worry about it. It's going to go away. Here we are 2,000 years later, and it's not gone away. Do you know why? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. And the kingdom of God being at hand is not about realm. It's about reign. I, listen to me. They're thinking that it's going to be geographic. They're going to think it's militarily. They're going to think it's some sort of strength. They're going to think somebody's going to come in and rescue them from their own stupidity, by the way. I'm just going to be honest with you. Because the Israelites have a history of getting on the good side of God, getting real comfortable, not doing it anymore. Over and over and over again. And they're thinking that the reign of God is is not as important as the realm of God. So we're going to get our land back. That's what you're telling me, right? We're going to get the promised land back. No, 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 no. What what Jesus is saying is that right now the kingdom of God is standing right in front of you and here's how you get into the kingdom of God. You let him reign over your heart. You let him reign over your life. You submit to his authority that he already has, by the way, but you submit to it willingly, not out of force, not out of coercion, but to realize that the reign of Jesus Christ is right now at hand in the hearts of anyone who will believe. And stop looking for all the material things that the realm has to offer. Because the king of kings and the lord of lords outshines every king on this earth every day of the week. And so in the simplicity of his message, Jesus says, right now, let me reign in your heart. And if you will let me reign in your heart right now, all these other things that are realities, they get put in their proper place. And you get to see what the kingdom is going to be like by bowing to the king now instead you're going to continue with all these earthly kings but then he has two exhortations right behind that repent and believe now hold on with me here for just a second because repent means nothing but turn change walk away whatever you were doing that is stopping you from seeing the king from honoring the king from bowing to the king stop doing that now, I, I know that's, that's really, really simple, but, but let me just help you out a little bit. If you are doing something that is harming, altering, stopping, fundamentally blocking a good relationship, whether it be with a person or with anything else, if you're doing something, stop doing it. Deep theology, right? Stop doing it. Well, how do I stop doing it? Oh, that's easy. What do you mean it's easy? I mean, John, we're talking addictions. We're talking about all kinds of, let me tell you, it's easy. Until Jesus 
reigns in your heart. Anything you try to do on your own, short-lived, and there's no power in it. But when he rules in your heart, he helps you through those things. That's not immediate. Some of you know you've been through some of the addictions. You've been through some of those things. Some of you are in addictions right now, and you don't even know it. I'm going to tell you something. Until he is the ruler of your heart and of your life, you're going to continue to struggle with that. And it may eventually get the better of you. It doesn't have to. But if you think down the road things will get a little better or things are going to get different, you need to go back to the kingdom of heaven is at hand now. Because you don't know when your next day is going to be. You don't know the next decision you're going to make. You don't know what's going to come upon you next and take you out and stop you from being able to respond to Jesus when he calls. Because there's no urgency there. Because there's no reigning of the king in your hearts. Perhaps that's because you haven't repented and turned away from those things and saying, you know what, I recognize those things for how detrimental they are to me, but there's a king of kings and lord of lords who is more powerful than those things, who loves me more than any return those things can give to me, and I'm going to submit to him right this second because I'm not interested in what could be down the road. I want right now what the king said he wants to give me. Freedom, love, peace, joy, patience. I want those things that can only come from the king. And I want them so badly that I've tried other things and they don't fill the gap. But here's what really gets us, and it's that word believe. This was a common conversation Jesus had with those who claimed to follow him. We call him the doubter, but Thomas's issue was not that he doubted in Jesus, because Jesus said very clear to him, stop doubting and believe. His, his frustration with Thomas was that he had seen, that he had experienced, that he had done things through the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. And yet Thomas says, no, 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 my criteria is until I put my hands through the holes here or in your side, I won't believe that you're Jesus. And he says, you need to believe this because it's true, not because you've experienced it, not because you've come up with your own criteria, not because you are the authority in, in this world. I am. I created this place. I was there at the beginning, and I spoke it into existence. So, so Thomas, your issue is not doubt, because doubt can lead you to ask questions. Your issue is that you have fundamentally said, I will not believe until. All right. Right now, who in your world will not believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Until. Until what? Folks, there may not be an until. There might not be a second or a third or a 50th chance. There's no guarantees in that. Because the urgency is not there. And the reign of Christ in our hearts is not there because we don't know him. And we don't know his word. And we don't trust him. Then the, the urgency to repent really doesn't matter because God's not done anything for me. He's just doing all this stuff to me. No, no, no. That's the consequences of choice and sin. And we repent because we said, I'm guilty, I've done that, and I don't want to do that anymore because it violates, it destroys my relationship with my creator who is the king of my heart. And I want to do that right now because I don't want to miss out anymore on all the promises that he's told me that are mine for taking because I am under the king's protection, not because of where I live, but because of who I serve. But the thing that gets us is belief. Now, what does it mean to believe in what does it mean to, to really believe something? What do, you, what do you believe in? Think about that. And, and what is the evidence of your belief? 
You see, as Christ says this, what he says is that your actions are going to be directly impacted by what you believe. That, that, that you tell me you believe something, but I'd sure rather see it. You tell me that you believe this, demonstrate it to me. Now, just to be clear, I don't think Jesus puts us to the test on this because he doesn't have anything to gain. He already knows. And, and, and I'm not taking away from, from, from what's missing in, 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 hey, I believe, but it's hard or it's challenging or it's difficult. Because I, I do know that's a reality, but I also say this. If you believe that fear is stronger than what Jesus has asked you to do, your belief is in fear, not in Jesus. Because history has said Jesus exists, but only few have said he's king of my life. Only few have said, I believe that he was the son of God, not just a good man or a prophet or a good teacher. Because if their belief stops in just those things, then that's all they get. And a real belief is a life-altering change that's dictated by our actions. You see, the evidence of our belief is demonstrated by the urgency of our actions. Oh, gosh dang, you're making another big, bold claim again this morning. Yes, I am. And let me make another one. I don't know if I will go. Because I think you're smart enough to know that I'm not encompassing all of my theology in this one statement. But I likewise think that you're intelligent enough to understand that you could come up with a multiple set of examples that say, if I really believe something, I would act on it in a much more urgent way. And, and we see these in real-life examples. We, we, we see these in, in emergencies. I really believe that's the fire exit. If fire breaks out, my beliefs will move to actions, and I will urgently exit out that door. But that's not true either, right? How many of you have been in a fire drill lately, and as the alarms go off, what do you do? Oh, man, another stupid alarm. Is this a drill? Are you just kidding me? These things go off all the time. What, what, what does it take? Smoke? Fire? Can I, can I just tell you that by that point, it could very well be late, too late for at least someone else, maybe not you? And so now the criteria has changed, right? Instead of the alarms going off, it's time to, to believe that that is the exit and that I can get out of here. What has happened is the alarm has already gone off and someone else has perished because I know where the exit is, and I didn't bother to tell them about it. That's an oversimplified example of, 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 of why we share the gospel. But you know what else it is? It, it's also that we share the gospel as some sort of escape plan instead of a lifestyle in the reign of the king. That, that we look at it as some sort of escape clause or last minute or deathbed confession saying, this is a life that has been promised to me. Jesus' gospel comes into my heart and it fundamentally changes me. And it gets to a place to say that I have life more abundantly, not just because I'm going to be in heaven, but because I live in the kingdom now under the king's protection. And the king is making me more and more like him every day because when I get to know who he is, I respond to him appropriately. And the appropriate response is, I need to tell you about Jesus Christ because he loves you so much he died for your sins. It's that simple. And when there's no urgency there, then the question has to be asked. Are you content with your own salvation? Or are you willing to do something about it? Maybe I need to go back. Is the evidence of my salvation my contentment in my life? 
the evidence of my salvation, the urgency by which I tell others, not just what I've been saved from, but what I've been saved for. Not just to tell them that the escape plan is good, my get-out-of-hell-free card is filled out and it doesn't expire anytime soon. No, no, I'm good. The rest of y'all, good luck with that. No, no, no. It's because God so loved the world, which included me, that he gave him something to live for. And there's an urgency about that, and Jesus understood the urgency about that because he said, my time on this earth is limited. I'm only going to be with you for a little while. Do you remember the conversation he had with his knucklehead disciples? Hey, fellas, come on now. You've been with me day and night for three years, and you still don't seem to get it. I'm only going to be here for a short time. And I've given you everything you need, not just to find personal success, but to respond obediently to the king who has called you on an epic quest to tell people about salvation that comes only through me, how their sins can be forgiven and their life can be completely set free. There's an urgency here, guys. There's a now. Because God has already set in motion that all of this is going to end at some point. And it will either end for you today or tomorrow or 50 years from now. But all of it's going to end at some point. And you know who's going to be left standing? The king of kings and the lord of lords. The one who rules. Not just the one who has the most land. The one who rules over the hearts of men and women and children. The evidence of your belief is demonstrated in the urgency of your actions. church history or been a church part of church history you might understand the, the history of the baptist D- did some of you know that some of the history of the baptist came about because they began to believe that we need to hurry up and baptize these children because the activity of baptism was so important that it, the, the kids were dying at a very young age because of disease and famine and all that other stuff we need to hurry up and get our kids baptized just in case they don't live long enough to make a decision for themselves now, as a parent, I, man, I can appreciate where they're coming from, but it's not good theology. It, 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 it doesn't matter. And do you know why I know it doesn't matter? Because many of those children were baptized in the winter, and they died of pneumonia. And the hope that was given to these families was, hey, it's a good thing they were baptized. No! They didn't know Jesus. And they died a horrible death that you initiated, thinking you were doing something good. When the king of kings said, I'll tell you how to do something great. Tell them how to believe in me. And no matter what happens, good. But tell them now. If it's so urgent that you would do this ritualistic thing, this, 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 if, if, if that's the urgency is to do some sort of activity, know why you're doing it and know why it matters. Because what we call that in today's world is reaction. We get urgent about things, usually out of reaction to some sort of threat that comes our way, a threat of loss, a threat of harm, instead of being urgent about saying, man, I have this joy in my life because Jesus reigns over me. I want you to have that too. And so that no matter what happens, you know why. The kingdom of God is at hand. John, that sounds just good and all, but you know, I'm saved. and say, y'all hired me. I don't really want to do any of that. I have the job. Do you? Because it's 
we do, don't don't think maybe a career change is good. I make more money and less work. How's that sound? Christianity gets a bad rap because it's so simple. But it's not half-baked. It's not lazy. Because when we really believe something, it fundamentally changes us and we do things differently. Urgently. Very important. Look with me in Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. I'm going to show you an example of this. Because this was the invitation that Jesus brought on. So, so we, we see in, in 14, 15, he says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately, now I told you, Mark uses immediately 42 times in his gospel. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Watch this for just a second. Because when we truly believe, we, we radically do a couple of things, and these are the things that we do. When we truly believe, we radically respond to a radical invitation. I have heard this preached and have been guilty of this to some level, but I'm going to tell you something. Many times we read this passage of Scripture and we think Jesus just saw these dudes out fishing and says, come on, I, I got a better life than smelling like fish all day. And they dropped everything and they followed him. That's not the case. Because if we, if we really study, what we know is that, that they had already heard the teaching of Jesus and had probably already met him before, and they had come to a place where they say, I believe this guy is who he says he is. In fact, one will say, we found the Messiah. Come on, <laughs> you need to come see this guy. And so when Jesus walks along the Sea of Galilee, he doesn't invite them to a new life in Christ. They've already made that commitment. They've already decided what they believe, and now their beliefs require them to urgently make some decisions. And the invitation was not to believe. The invitation was to discipleship. The invitation was, come follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And so as, as awesome as that story would be, is, man, can you believe these guys? They just on blind faith dropped everything and followed Jesus. No, 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 that's not the case. Not in this situation. They had time to hear the gospel. Someone had told them the truth. They had time to think about the gospel. They had time to discuss it amongst one another. They had time to compare it back to the old scriptures. They had time to pray and let the Holy Spirit work in their heart. And so when the time came for someone to ask them something radical, that's a no-brainer because our, our beliefs drive us to urgently make decisions and to do things. And they said, urgently, now is the time. The kingdom of God is at hand. I'm going to get out of this boat. I'm going to stop fishing. I'm going to follow that guy. Because that's a far better career choice than what I've got going on with me right now. And the irony is, is that after Jesus is, 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 is taken away, after Jesus is crucified, you know where we find all these knuckleheads? In a boat fishing. I got an idea. When times get tough, let's revert back to what was just okay but didn't really work for us. Does that sound even remotely like any of our lives? But, but what he says is that when, when somebody radically believes in something, they respond to a radical invitation, come be like me. He wasn't knocking fishing. In fact, he said, what you guys know about fishing, I'm going to take this up a new level. And he says, obey through radical actions. And they did so. Now that term, I will make you fishers of men, we, we like to kind of simplify that sometimes too, especially if you've ever fished, because if you're not a very good fisherman, you learn to be a better fisherman, what you got to do is get better bait. 
you, you got to get, get a better boat. You got to get a better reel. It, husbands, these are all true things, and I'll tell your wives that later, okay? Because I need that support too. But, but what you really need to do is you need to study the fish. You, you, you need to know what they're biting on. You need to know where they are and how they behave and how they act. Do you know how you do that? I, I just, this is radical. Are you ready? Do you, do you know how you do that? You get in amongst them. You study them. You, you smell like fish. Pro- probably the, the best advice someone ever gave me about being in ministry, they said, if you don't like the sheep, the smell of sheep is going to be a shepherd. And so if your criteria is that those people need to clean themselves up before they come, no, 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 no. the kingdom of God is a clean house right now. And you need to urgently get out there and tell them who the king of kings and Lord of lords is. And that's going to require some activity on your part to act urgently in response to who Jesus is and what he wants in your life so they too might look at that and go, man, that didn't make sense. I'd like to know more about it. I'm a little bit curious about that. It's kind of like putting the right buoy on there, but something really shiny. That bass just can't happen sometimes. At least I tell myself that sometimes. When we truly believe, we open our hearts and our minds and we do more than we could ever imagine. Now, now here's what's really cool. Here's a bunch of guys from Galilee who, by the way, are going to get mouthed at in in Acts chapter 2. How can these guys from Galilee be able to speak these languages? How can these guys know so much uh, about the Old Testament? These guys all washed out of rabbi school, and they went to be fishermen with their dad because nepotism exists everywhere, right? And and the only job they could find was carrying on the family business. Let me tell you something. When they left, look what it says in that last verse there in verse 20. It says, and the hired hands kept on with dad. They didn't leave him high and dry. Dad was doing well enough to hire people in addition to his sons. So guess what? Wasn't a really hard choice going, I don't know, should I leave dad or not? It doesn't matter if you leave dad or not. Jesus just said, come follow me. By the way, in case you're wondering, he's got dad taken care of too. And so maybe just for a minute, why don't you deal with what you need to respond to Jesus about and let dad deal with what he needs to respond to Jesus about. Because a time's going to come when it's going to be father against son and mother against daughter and brother against brother. And they're going to turn on one another based on what they believe. But look what happened to these disciples. These guys changed the world because they said, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to obediently do what you've called me to do. And you know why? Because I believe that's true and I believe the urgency leads us. Because if everything Jesus has said to this point to get me to this level to where I want to be like him and I want to be a follower of him, if it's true, that means there are a lot of people out here who need to hear what I heard and know what I know. Urgently. That is one of the markers of our belief, is the now of the moment. And I'm going to go out on another limb here for just a second. Say that some of the reasons why I don't think that we take our faith and the necessity, don't miss this, the necessity of sharing our faith with others is because we do have a criteria. We do have a set of exceptions to the rule, if you will. But mostly it's because our relationship with God is not what it ought to be. Because we haven't truly become disciples, followers of Him. We haven't looked at the radical nature of the request that Jesus has in our lives and said, you know what, I'm going to do that. I know it's too scary. The Bible's too hard to understand. It's too old. It's an archaic language. Too many people are against this. My friends don't believe this stuff. 
the pastor just yells and carries on a lot, but it doesn't seem compassionate. All these other, listen, at the end of the day, if Jesus can have a conversation with you and he says, come follow me, what are you willing to drop in? Really? Come, come and think about that for a little while. Let's pray. Heavenly King, you're God of the kingdom. You need to figure out what side we're going to be on. And Lord, it is a side. We could be on the side that's already won, or you can be on the side that thinks you're going to win for a little while. You can start living life abundantly today, and you can hope that only something you saw through in heaven, and that's not too big of a picture. So here's my response this morning that I would ask you. I would share with you that it's impossible to follow Jesus if you don't know who he is. Church, what one thing can you do to maybe close that gap? What one thing can we do to change that? And when we talk about the invitation to discipleship, let me just make this easy for you. I don't care what you do. Just do something. inside and outside of church because they're, they're going to encourage me and build me up. I, I'm going to go to Sunday school on Sunday morning. And, and even if I don't feel like I can participate for whatever reason, that's just the way I'm wired sometimes. I'm going I'm to learn. I'm going to sit at the feet of those who have walked with Jesus longer than I've been alive. I'm going to listen to their stories. I'm going to hear. And I'm, I'm going to learn more about him because I need to go tell others who know far less than I do about the salvation that only comes through Jesus Christ. And why? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. There's an urgency to it. And if I believe that to be true, then I don't need to worry about all the other things and how people respond. What I need to do is be obedient to the king who rules and is coming. And I need to repent. Lord, sometimes I'm afraid to share the gospel because I, 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 don't, I don't like how people are going to perceive me. disobedient to the king? I mean, you got to know nobody does that. There are consequences for that. Maybe I just need to reevaluate my life today. And so the second response might be, I need to listen to Jesus this morning and ask him to change the course of my life. Because if you do, you stop telling me about it. Tell somebody else about it. Don't just change their life, change their eternity. through that relationship by building that relationship. Father, we thank you so much that you do love us enough to not overwhelm us, but just to simply say, repent and believe. God, I, I, I do fear sometimes that we may boil things down a little too simply or, or maybe even a little too black and white, but I don't know how much black and white or clear that it can be that you've loved us enough to send your son for us and we didn't deserve it and you did it anyway. And it, it wasn't to prove a point. It wasn't to, to gain your own status. It was so that we might be redeemed and be with you forever. That, that Father, you gave everything so that we might have what's eternal. And so, Lord, in this room this morning, I, I know 
if there are some who said, hey, I, I, I claim to be a Christian for a very long time, but I've never told anybody about my faith. And so, God, I, I'm going to ask you to take that, that, that misplaced shame, if they have that, away from them. That, that doesn't come from you. Father, fill them with your Holy Spirit. The gift that you promised, the helper that you promised, that not only might they they do more than they could ever possibly imagine to, to go and change the world like a couple of fishermen said, I'm going to get out of this boat, I'm going to follow that guy right there. Father, help them to, to see that, that the results are measured in obedience to your call, not to how somebody responds. That, that their response to you is what matters. Father, secondly, I would pray that, that, that there are those in this room that, that, that have never been well discipled. And they have this, this, this still arm's length thing. That the last thing I want to do is let somebody know about my life and know about my struggles and know about, about my failures and know about everything else. The last thing I want anybody else to know is that I'm human, just like everybody else, and I need a Savior. Father, again, take that from them. That's an excuse. It's a lie from the enemy. And not only is it impacting them, there are others around them who will never hear the gospel because they believe a lie more than the truth. Father, help us to stop doubting and to believe and to let those beliefs move into an urgent action. And Father, we don't have to be jerks about, oh, Jesus is coming, you're all going to, we don't have to be jerks about it. But Father, we have to be honest and say that we don't know if we have a day or a thousand days and it doesn't matter because Jesus is still King of Kings and He's wants a whole lot more for your life than even you. Father, more than anything, I pray that you would take the emotion and put it in its right place and help us to stop feeling guilt or remorse or sorrow or anything. Just help us to process this from a logical place to say, you know what? I believe that. And because I believe that, I'm going to make choices that reflect that belief. That, 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 that our hearts are not only understand that sometimes it's a, it's a matter of intellect that brings us to the right relationship with Jesus because we've already got through the emotions. More than anything, Father, let that urgency build in us. Father, help us to know who Jesus is and how we should respond to him. When he invites us to be disciples, that we say, I don't have time for that, I'm not interested in that, I don't like that look at it as a wonderful opportunity for me to know Jesus better and to be more like Him. Father, finally, my prayers for those who have just really struggled and never grow in their relationship with Christ and never mature into believers that you know they can. And so, God, I'm going to ask you specifically, would you take one thing from them this week? One barrier that's in the way, one one lie that's that's convincing them that they can't. Is it something to see that you already did? That you did so for them. And I pray that we'd be a church that follows you and tells others about the truth of you. So that we would do it urgently. Fast, quick, and in a hurry. 
stand with us this morning.